Welcome. I'm Jillian Moss-Backman, and we're going to talk about victimization and sex trafficking and all those mental health issues once again. I want to give a shout-out to Imagine Publicity for allowing me to be a guest host. I really... I don't want to say I'm enjoying the conversations, but I'm always intrigued by the guests that I have interviewed along the way because they each have interesting stories. And my favorite part about it is how do they get to where they're giving back to their communities and how they use their expertise to help the rest of us out there. Today, we're going back to another issue facing victims of human trafficking and how they're treated in the healthcare system. Oftentimes, people who come into treatment don't really realize they're victims. We need to talk about that today, and more importantly, how can we serve them better? Usually, what I do is write an intro about our guests, but today we're having two, which is an interesting way of explaining and doing a story. So, I thought it'd be better if I allow both of them to state who they are, a little bit of their background and the issues they represent, because obviously they can talk about their issues much better than I can. So today we're talking to Natalie Darby and Vanessa Suggs. Natalie, why don't you start first, give us a little bit of back about the background about you and the issue that you're representing. I have been a nurse for 16 years. I have a bachelor's in nursing. I'm a certified legal nurse consultant, and I am a certified sexual assault nurse in the adult and pediatric population. And I am also a member of the Coastal Region Human Trafficking Task Force. And Vanessa? Yes, I have been a nurse for seven years. I just recently received my bachelor's in nursing, and I will start nurse practitioner school next month. And I've worked with um, human trafficking victims domestically and internationally, and I'm also a member of the Coastal Region Human, Tra- human Trafficking Task Force. I'm always amazed by nurses. I don't know why that that profession in particular really draws some tinge in my heart. Between the two of you, how many years do you think you have as in the nursing community? 23. 23? <laughs> I, wow, that's almost 30 years between the two of you. Do you still like it? I love my job. I do too. Do you, I, that, you know, I hear that over and over from nursing and nurses um, that they really love it. And I'm not, it, it has to be some kind of heart centered love on the inside that makes a nurse love their job and keep on doing it, especially 23 years. So let's jump right into this. I really want to start talking about what medical places that victims are seen. As nurses, you're like boots on the ground, I suppose. What kind of places do you find victims that we're talking about? I um, did some research for a project I did for my DSN degree, and I found out, and these are all research-based articles. There was one in 2014 where most of the victims are seen, obviously, as in hospitals and ERs and primary care physicians. Um, They go into the primary care physicians, but what shocked me was Planned Parenthood is also one place that's frequent a lot by victims. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of it is um, abortion, you know, if they are having multiple sex partners a day, obviously if some use protection, some don't, you're at risk for STIs and pregnancy. And there's um, also research where victims state that they've had up to six and seven abortions. You know, and, and it's interesting that you bring that up. I bet you that victims were, let me back up a bit and say that we're talking about victims of human trafficking and I, I guess we could throw in prostitution, but that's a whole different thing. But we're talking about victims today. I would suppose that they're going to a place like that because they know that it's open arms without judgment. I would think they would say, okay, that's a place that's going to take care of me and not judge me. 
You know, there's some people that would say, you know, how come you're doing that to your body and you have a chance to change it? But it sounds like maybe that's why they're going. What do you think about that? Yeah, and possibly no questions asked type of environment, you know. As you said, it's open um, for them to come in, not judgmental. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's, it was actually second on the list as the most frequent visited medical facility per this research article. Now, I don't want to get all political, but it's, it, is a, it is a place that's being threatened by its livelihood, and maybe they need to look at how it's serving the communities in other ways other than the obvious, I suppose. So if you would put a percentage of victims seen in the healthcare system like that setting or something during trafficking, what's the number on that? I suppose you have a lot of statistics, unfortunately. Um, what, do you, what do you find it? Um, with this same research article that was done in 2014, 73% of physicians and nurses believe that their patients are to aren't affected by human trafficking, but the statistics show that 87.6% of victims actually seek medical care while they're still in captivity. So that's a huge missed opportunity for us as healthcare providers that we're pretty much treating injuries, treating infections, and then discharging them out to the same situation that they came in as far as the trafficking ring and realm. But do they really come in and tell you that they're a victim of this? I mean, one of the challenges that I've found over talking to all these people that work in this industry is they don't even know they're victims. I mean, do they come in and say, hey, I'm a victim of sex trafficking? Of course they don't. So yeah, what they don't. kind of, I mean, I would think as nurses, you see these subtle signs that maybe the rest of the world doesn't see. What kind of things do you see in you know, when a victim comes into that place and you said like, what was it? 87% or something? Yes. 87%. Um, I'm actually going to pass that on to Natalie because she will discuss that further as far as what the symptoms and red flags are. So what the key things are, why um, the healthcare providers aren't necessarily picking up on it is they need to be educated on what red flags and actual signs and symptoms of our tra uh, trafficking victims. So, and what are some of those? Sorry, go ahead. It's okay. So, some red flags are um, traffickers will not leave their victim. They're constantly being watched and monitored. And if they are not um, watching them themselves, like being with them personally, they have somebody with them, like their right-hand man, which they refer to them as their bottom bitch. And that is pretty much a um, female who is their right-hand man who they have trained to um, be in charge of all the girls. Um, they need approval. The victims need approval from their trafficker. Um, they have open lines of communication. So if they're not physically there with them, they might have a cell phone that is open um, with a call or FaceTime, and they might have it open um, out in front of them, or they might have it stashed in their clothing. And if you ask them to end the call, they will not do it. Um, they also show that um, it's a very controlling relationship with that phone. Um, and evidence um, that they don't want to displease the part, their partner or whoever's on the other end of that phone. They also show like a cover story um, when they're discussing their relationship of the person that they're with. They might appear to be a couple, um, but there's a huge age difference between the two of them. Um, or it might be a couple with a bunch of teenage girls, like if they're on a vacation, but nobody knows um, anybody's name. Or um, a, the female might be the one doing all the talking and interaction. Um, there's a huge uh, lingo with the trafficking community. So I've already mentioned the bottom bitch. Um, daddy is what the pimp wants the victims to call. Uh, there's the Romeo pimp. He prides himself in controlling others with the psychological manipulation. So 
So he showers his victims with, oh, honey, I'll buy you this. I'll do this for you. Um, and that's how he manipulates his victims with the psychological manipulation. Then there's the gorilla pimp. He controls his victim with violence, and that's how he gets things done. And then there's the John, who's the buyer of um, sex. The lot lizard is a derogatory term for people who prostitute truck stops. And there's actually, um, with the task force here in South Carolina, the um, Truckers um, Association is involved because they do not want human trafficking um, apart at their truck stops. The madams are the older women who manage brothels and the escort services. The pimp, um, of course, controls and financially benefits from commercial sex acts. The quote is the amount of money that um, they have to bring home at night. Reckless eyeballing is the act of looking around instead of keeping eyes on the ground. Seasoning. This is how they get their victims to do what they want to do. Um, they beat them. They rape them. They deprive them of sleep or food. They hold them hostage. They hold their children hostage. Anything that they do to break them down, to get them to do what they need to do. And then, of course, the game or the life. And that's what the whole prostitution situation of human trafficking is. These victims do not know where they are. They move every three to five days. They know where they came from, but they can't give an address of where they are. Um, they may live at an employer's address. They lie about their age. They may say they're 18, but they're much younger. If they do have ID, it doesn't match their identity. They're poor historians because they are constantly told to lie and their story doesn't match their injuries. They might discuss a family dysfunction because there's abuse of in the home, neglect, or absence of caregivers. Um, they might reveal uh, isolation of activities. So they might be confined to room or small space to work eat, or sleep. They say that somebody's always watching them and they're afraid to leave. They're denied basic necessities such as food, water, sleep, or medical care. They have no control of financial possessions or they have large sums of um, cash. Um, unexplained money, electronics, or jewelry. Inadequate breaks at work for food, water, or toiling. Lack of protective supplies for work with like helmets or eye protective. Recruited for jobs other than they are assigned. A debt that they can't um, pay off. So somebody might um, be transported over here um, to our country. Um, they want to come here and they say, okay, that's fine. We brought you here, but now you got to pay for us getting you here. So they work and do a job and then they're like, okay, well, you paid for that, but now we've paid for you um, to eat and sleep, so you got to pay for that. And then the cycle just goes round and round and round. The victim's behavior, they're very disconnected, they're fearful, disoriented, and of course, a child that stops attending school. Those are your basic red flags. But then you have your physical symptoms. These patients might be pale because of lack of sun exposure, sleep deprived from working long hours, uh, malnutrition from lack of proper nutrition or not, not eating at all. They might have bald spots from having their hair pulled, dental conditions, broken teeth or missing teeth due to trauma or drug abuse. They might have bite marks. They might have burns from specific injuries such as cigarettes, self-mutilation, um, to release the stress from the situation because they are so distraught from the trauma that they are enduring. Bruising from blunt force trauma that can mostly be seen on the face, wrist, and chest. Strangulation, um, bruising areas to the neck um, or also behind the ears is a huge indication. Um, lacerations to the wrists and ankles from being tied up. Broken bones, commonly to the hands, wrists, ankles, forearms, lower legs, and ribs, and clavicle area. Having a hard time hearing because of work-related conditions, not having protective uh, earwear. Eye strains, um, either from sleep deprivation or uh, working conditions, back pain, strenuous work, or sleeping conditions. Drug and alcohol. Now, for the trafficker, this can be one of two ways. 
they either use drugs and alcohol to um, manipulate their victim or they avoid using it so that they have a high-end product. Then there's skin markings, which are tattoos or branding. They use these to identify their victims as their property. They're commonly seen as barcodes or tattoos of their names. There's been um, victims that have tattoos as young as 14 years old of their tractor's names on their arms. Um, then long-term consequences can be diabetes, lung conditions, heart disease. Then, of course, it stems into the mental health, depression, anxiety, insomnia, phobias, being fearful around other people, and the long-term consequences from all this trauma, the post-traumatic stress disorder, the fears of being attacked and repeated trauma over and over after once they're out of the life. Uh, neurological conditions, headaches, trouble thinking, sleep changes, abdominal conditions, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, urinary conditions, burning frequency, urgency, um, and of course, sexually transmitted disease and HIV. Reproductive, irregular vaginal bleeding, and traffickers make sure that these victims continue their duties when they are having their menstrual cycle. They force them to use sponges or any other object to stop the bleeding, to continual sex acts. Also, those that use IV drugs um, can develop abscesses. And we cannot be so quick to judge our victims or any patients because there has been a huge, huge incidence of trafficking victims that have come into the healthcare setting and have had abscesses and they have wanted help, but because healthcare providers were so quick to judge um, they never said anything to anybody. So we cannot be so quick to judge people as IV drug users. Um, we need to be open arms to everybody. Um, there's pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies, uh, miscarriages, abortions, and infertility. Rectal conditions such as trauma and bleeding because of assault. Um, clothing. So we're here in Myrtle Beach. Um, it's 90 degrees. If you see somebody with a turtleneck on and, and a pair of shorts, what, why are we wearing a turtleneck? Are we covering bruises up? Are we covering injuries? So we need to think about the season and condition. Vaginal conditions, lacerations, transections, bruising, edema, bleeding. Environmental conditions. So are they exposed to um, extreme conditions? So are they burnt or do they have frostbite, depending on which area of the country you're living in? Muscle conditions, sprains and strains related to excessive working conditions. All these things need to be taken into consideration for any patient because you never know what it could be. That's a big, long list of red flags. Um, any one of those could be isolated as a potential harm to the person and victim that you're talking about. Now, let me ask you a couple questions about that. One, I know this sounds really strange, but one I haven't really heard before because I've been involved in this world a little bit and, and do a little bit of um, research on it. I don't understand what you said about barcode tattoos. That blew my mind. I'm not sure what that is, Natalie or Vanessa, can you go right into that whole tattoo thing? Because that one kind of stuck in my head. The other things, you know, I understand, but I really haven't heard that part of that list. Can you expound on that just a little bit more for me, please? Sure. The barcodes, like, you know, on uh, products from the grocery store, Yeah. those are actually tattooed on individuals. And that okay, I just got to take that in a moment. Is that uh, like is is it a real barcode or is it more just a, like a symbolic? This is my product slash person, and it it does it does it correspond with a person that you know like the pimps or something you're talking about? Is that what it is? No, just a symbolic piece, just saying it's property. Oh my gosh, uh, that one, I, I don't know why that one sticks out to me, you guys, but that one feels really, you know, I think it's because the other things are all symptoms of, of a victim, but that one 
demeans a person down to the point where it's no different than a product in the grocery store. I know that sounds horrible, but that's what's in my head. Is that kind of where we're going with that? Yeah, that's the whole point. They um, put them down to pretty much mean that they are nothing more than just an item. They are not a human. They dehumanize them um, to nothing. They are a product. You know, when it comes to um, it's a high profit, excuse me, um, It's a $150 billion criminal industry, um, and when it comes to humans being trafficked, it's a lot different than drugs. You can sit here and use a human over and over and over and over again. You sell your human, you get it back. You sell your human, you get it back. With drugs, you sell your drugs, you got to go find more drugs. So it it's... It's a it's a ridiculous industry that people are making millions of dollars. Hence, what's going on in the the uh, media right now. So, what you're saying is basically these humans are disposable. So when and that's where that whole trafficking part comes in, is when they're no longer useful, they're just eliminated, basically, right? Well, they want to keep their products high end, so they will take them to the doctor. They will make sure that they are okay um, because they got to keep their product, you know, high end and up to shape so that they can perform as best as possible. Oh, gosh. Okay. So the other thing that struck, I, I always take notes when I'm listening. I, I listen. Um, the other thing that really struck me was that they moved these these girls. I, I and I don't want to say gender specific because they're both the young men and women. I would suppose that they move their product every three to five days to different locations. Yes, and you are correct. It is male. It is female. Um, it is boys. It is girls. Um, the prime target ages are twelve to fourteen. Um, oh. for the most part, um, and they, and that is pretty much the age of vulnerability due to they are your middle schoolers who are trying to figure out, you know, what to do, find themselves, um, you know, that's a tough, tough time, but the vulnerability age for children is the runaways, the, um, those that are involved with uh, juvenile issues, um, child protective service, single parents, truancy issues, poor performance in school, and any physical, emotional, psychological neglect or sexual abuse in the homes. Um, also, there's a huge issue with disabled and cognitively impaired um, people that are being taken advantage of. There was a case that was discussed um, that a couple took advantage of this woman who loved children. And they told this woman that if she did not perform sex acts to make money, that these, that their children were going to starve. So she went out and she had sex with people so that they would have money for her children, for their children so that they wouldn't starve. Oh gosh. Okay. So we've gone over the red flags now. And the thing that strikes me on all that is, you know, the list that you made up, I, I, it comes from probably a nurse's perspective and also this task force that you work on. But you know what? People don't want to get involved. I mean, you hear all that stuff and you, those are pretty drastic, manipulative uh, items on that list and my first reaction is if they're that powerful over a human being albeit a young person there has to be some power and manipulation to the people behind the people that are doing this and a lot of people you guys don't want to get involved. I mean, what are you asking people to do when they recognize or 
see something like this happening, I know that probably falls into the task force work, but what do you want people to do? Or if people don't even recognize themselves they're in this situation. So the most important thing is if you see something, say something. And you don't necessarily have to confront the trafficker or the victim. There's a national human trafficking hotline that you can call and report, like, you know, the description of the person, the vehicle that they're in, any license plate information and all of that. And that number is 1-888-373-7888. And so it's really important, even if you're not 100% certain that what you think is a trafficking situation is going on, still report it and let the authorities investigate. Um, that's the most important thing, because what if the 1% chance that it is and you didn't report it and that person continues in the cycle of being trafficked? What does that number go to, Vanessa? What is, what's the organization that you just gave that number out to? Uh, the number 888-373-7888 is the actual number to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Okay. And they, I mean, it's all 50 states. Um, and so you just tell them your location and, you know, what you're suspicious of, any detailed descriptions, and they will um, contact the authorities in the area, and they will investigate further. So if you go back to that red, the red flag list that you just gave, there are things on there that you wouldn't connect sex trafficking to. Um, I can't remember what it would be, but there were some that I wrote down that, that you wouldn't recognize as being that. So my next thought is if you don't recognize it from an outside person, how in the world is the victim going to recognize that this is a manipulative situation and trafficking? And, and I'm, I'm sure it's a slow burn, right? I'm sure that they don't start, you know, trafficking those person right at the very beginning. I'm sure they bring them in, they groom them, they talk to them. How does a victim even know they're going down this road of destruction if they can't figure it out? What things can you tell potential victims or people that are out there right now that don't see it as such? Unfortunately, these victims are coming from um, not well-off situations. So when you have somebody coming up to them offering you the world, uh, expensive items, a job opportunity, um, a place to live, um, food, uh, expensive clothing, having your hair done, your nails done, Sounds good, right? You're going to take it. Um, unfortunately, once they get in and they realize what's going to happen, um, sometimes they don't know how to get out when they realize what's happening to them, and they just fall into the cycle. Um, and the only thing is is healthcare providers and along with the task force, we're trying to educate everyone, schools, um, police officers, um, like I said, healthcare, on the signs and symptoms, what to look out for because victims don't know that they're victims. You can even sit down and tell them that they are victims, and they're like, no, 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 he's my boyfriend. Um, I, I did it because I wanted to do it, and they still don't understand. No, he made you do it. He's not your boyfriend. He's 35 years old. You're 14. Like, that's, that's not a boyfriend. That's a pimp. Well, you can understand, however, how easy it would be, especially nowadays with what's going on, attractive that would be to a young boy or girl in a situation where it's less than optimal for their their greatest well-being and mental health. In Myrtle Beach a couple of weeks ago, I know that your task force was out in the outdoor uh, 
concerts that they were doing down at the beach. And those kind of events are very alluring, you know, where there's a bunch of young kids coming to. It was the country music event, I believe. Isn't that one of the places where they find, I mean, they go out and troll in these places specifically to find vulnerable kids that are out there. Is that one of the places that they find these kids? It is true as far as recruitment, but as far as the business standpoint for them, like the Super Bowl, whatever city the Super Bowl is in every year, there's a huge push for um, trafficking. It's like the most popular event of the year, and therefore trafficking in those cities are skyrocket because these pants and johns bring all these women in because there's so many people in the city for that event and it's just business for them. So not only is it recruitment, but it's business as far as selling the product, selling the women to people that want to buy it. So in a very well, this is very, uh, please don't take this wrong, but it's like at the back end and the front end of these events, uh, at the beginning, getting them recruiting, and then you're saying for the business end at the both ends. So that's just horrifying. And, you know, I don't ever think that's ever going to go away. I think that's a part of our society now. But I know that your coastal task force is really making a concerted effort out there to at least educate people through conversations like this. Tell me exactly what the Coastal Task Force does. Give the proper name, please. It's very long. I I don't want to mess it up. And explain to us what it does that you all do for the community. Okay, so it is the Coastal Region Human Trafficking Task Force. And we have multiple subcommittees, which include health care, law enforcement, Youth advocacy, um, legal, advertisement, and um, assistant. I can't remember exact term, so forgive me. Those that are on the task force and are listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> but our whole our whole goal is um, in each of our committees is to address issues related to those fields. So youth advocacy is focusing on um, the school, um, like youth groups and church organizations and getting out to them. Law enforcement is training all law enforcement agencies and um, training um, and having different uh, events and uh, we'll say stings um, to prepare for large events and such and to make more awareness so that maybe not necessarily just a basic traffic stop um, would be just a basic traffic stop, but, you know, um, they might be more observant for a car full of kids and one adult, you know, and then our service providers, um, what resources do we have for victims um, out there um, once they are um, rescued and what can we do for them? Uh, Legal, um, having the judges uh, trained and be more conscious that these are not prostitutes, they are not willingly doing this, that they have been forced into this life and the free services that we can offer them. Um, healthcare we, on our team, we are educating not only the hospitals but urgent cares, all of EMS, the uh, elementary schools and high schools, and the colleges are our own board with training their um, healthcare um, courses. So, you know, it's a group effort, and we need the community to be aware. You know, see something, say something by calling the hotline one eight eight eight. 373-7888, you know, it doesn't hurt. And you can always um, reach out to us for any questions or educational opportunities um, on our um, Facebook page, which is um, SC Coastal Region Task Force on Human Trafficking. We'll be happy to come out, talk to, um, do a presentation at any facility um, 
you know, we volunteer. We want the word to get out. Um, we will talk to you. We'll email you, whatever you want us to do. Um, but it is so important to um, educate about this. I think it's great what your uh, task force is doing. And, and what I want to add to that is that this touches every single community, right? I mean, it's not just in the communities that you live in. Unfortunately, I think this is more prevalent than people understand. I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's going to go away. I think it, the sex trafficking and everything along the, the lines of that is a part of our daily lives nowadays. And you overlay it with the opioid crisis, which is causing even more issues to bring people and hook these young people in and they can't get out. So what you're talking about, I believe, is your task force is laying, I don't know how long it's been around, but it sounds like it's laying down a platform that can grow and continue to add services, and you're looking for people to get involved, correct? I mean, you're asking for the community to be a part of this because it's going to be a part of our existence moving forward in a way that I don't think we even understand yet. That's correct. And the, the biggest thing is, is that these victims, this, once they are out of the life, they have long-term issues they, um, from their victimization. Their um, mental health and their PTSD from this trauma um, is long-term. And I'm going to let Vanessa talk about that. That's exactly where I wanted to go next. So thanks, you guys. Okay, Vanessa, you're up. Tell me about it. <laughs> so as you are correct about as far as the opioid crisis, like pants pretty much use that to get their um, their product, the girls hooked. So they, heroin is like once a day fix. If you don't have it, you're going to go withdraw. So that's how they use to control um, the women. And so substance abuse is huge um, in this population of women being trafficked. But also you have like um, psychological issues attached with that. It's just not substance abuse. So you have depression. They feel shame and guilt for what they've done. They have PTSD from, you know, being beaten or being raped and just like all these things that they're made to do that we can't even imagine and also, they attempt suicide as a way of getting out of the situation. Um, and so that's huge as far as, like, with the substance abuse, you have your heroin, you have your cocaine, you have alcohol, and you have your date rape drugs. You have all of that compiled into that as far as, and as well as the psychological issues. It just so never ends. It just, yeah, I mean... What do you do about that? Well, like Natalie said earlier, we as healthcare providers need to be educated and we shouldn't be quick to judge a person. Oh, they're just a drug addict or, oh, they're just a prostitute. Me being a nurse and working with victims in the Dominican Republic and also with teens in Texas, it made me open my eyes to, one, the situation. There's always a bigger story that we don't see at the surface. Once we meet a patient, we don't just, yes, we get their history, history and physical, but we don't know their life story, their current situation, or anything like that. And we need to be more open. I had an incident a couple of weeks ago where um, everywhere I go as far as if I'm doing a travel assignment or hospitals at Conway or Grand Strand, I'm always educating, you know, my coworkers, doctors, nurses about human trafficking as far as the medical field and how we can, you know, um, pick up on red flags and what we need to do, to do to help the victim, report it, whatever we need to do. And so one of the nurses I educated said, hey, you know, we had a patient, you know, in the ER, 14 years old, that was suicidal ideations, history of drug abuse and prostitution. And she said, I thought about you and what you told me. And it's just like, that's the perfect scenario. And I hate to say that, but that's the perfect scenario that people should be 
you know, picking up on as far as a trafficking situation. Because a 14-year-old shouldn't be hooked on drugs, and they shouldn't be prostituting themselves. So, well, and um, let me just ask you this. I, I get all that, but if you are a parent or a friend of a 14-year-old and you are and you are a professional and know how to do it, what do you think these people that are surrounding the infrastructure that this young girl is in, how frightened are they to come forward? Um, do you suggest they go to the hospital with them? I mean, what do you suggest as a professional teaching the rest of us what we should be doing about that and how we can get the process started. Well, I think the main thing is like we said earlier is to see something, say something. And I can't stress that enough as far as calling the human trafficking hotline. And that again is the 888-373-7888. But if, that person has any injuries or, you know, they should be seeking medical care. They shouldn't be left to the wayside or, you know, they should be seeking medical care for their injuries or even infections or a complicated pregnancy or a complicated abortion. Like, they should be seeking medical care. Um, so, and I understand that most people feel, like, you know, scared because, I mean, I'm not – I'm going to be honest, like some of these pimps and traffickers, they are very powerful in, you know, their reach and the resources they have. But if we don't stand up against the evil and shine a light on the darkness of human trafficking, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's why it's so important for us to educate people on what to look for. And if there's not, you know, a demand for sex, in our culture, and it's not just here in the United States, it's in other countries too. If there wasn't such a strong and big demand for it, then it wouldn't be such a problem. And so I just, I can't stress enough, you know, that if you see something, say something. I don't care if you're not 100%, just that 1% is enough to call the hotline and be able to get somebody out of, you know, the trafficking situation. Your story about the nurse and the child that came in and that she thought about what you had taught her, I really want to ask you, what did she do? If she, it's one, you know, and here's the deal, Vanessa, people think things after it happens or they have the information and they and what you just said well I thought of you but quite frankly thinking about you and what you had taught her and doing the action to do it in the next breath is where people really get caught up when so can I ask you as a follow-up what did that nurse do once she identified what was in front of her? So I highly suggested that she mention her concerns to the doctor because, and I'm going to kick it back to a research article I did, or researched and read, is back in 2014, there were 5,600 hospitals in the United States and only 60 had protocols set in place. If they had a person that they were suspicious of trafficking, they didn't have anything or they had something set in place, like what to do, who to contact, law enforcement, were there any resources in a community like a safe house or, you know, things along those lines that they can get that patient, that victim connected to. That's only 1% of the hospitals in the country had those protocols set in place. And so I feel like that's um, something that's important as far as hospitals in the community, especially high traffic areas like Myrtle Beach. It's a tourist location. It's very transient. Um, so you're going to have people coming and going. And I feel like there should be something set in stone. If we have, we're suspicious, we call the human trafficking hotline. You know, is there any resources in the community that there's a safe house that we can get them to, you know, along those lines? Um, to help the immediate need and not just, you know, something that's off in the future. But also with that is 
as far as the psychological issues, like psychologists, you know, get them connected with a psychologist because obviously they have PTSD. They need to speak to someone to talk those those things out. They need medical care for what they've experienced and continue to experience. And, you know, based on research and, you know, polling, surveying these victims during trafficking and after trafficking, you know, their attempted suicide rate went down, but their PTSD rate went up after, you know, they were out of that trafficking situation. So, and as far as substance abuse, as far as like rehab centers, because that's what one of the main things that the pimps use to get them hooked is substances like you know, heroin, for instance, because that's huge here in Myrtle Beach. You're talking about one moment in time, meaning the nurse was there. She was right there on top of that that situation with that little girl. And you're talking about a split-second moment in time where it, it can go one of two ways. It can go towards where you're talking about or B it can go back to where she came from or he came from. What I'm hearing you say is that we need to educate both professionals and lay people on what to do in that split moment on what, you know, and are you talking about the services that are available in that one split moment? Because the 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 example that you gave was awesome meaning that the nurse had the information that you had given her she had the situation straight in front of her but yet she didn't quite have the confidence or the connections or whatever you want to put, lay down on it to do the next follow through i think that's the big thing that people are missing in this whole story and is that what you're uh organization and what you're saying as nurses is we have to it's no different than a house burn a house that starts on fire when the fire people come in they know exactly what the next step to do is that what you're saying that we have to have that preparedness so at that split moment people know what to do Yes, that's what the task force is working on is so that everybody knows which part they are involved in and all the ducks are in a row. So once a patient is identified or a victim is identified, that we have the resources for them in every aspect of where they're going to stay, how they're going to have follow-up, who's going to take care of them legally, every aspect that way so that they are protected, so that they're not being re-traumatized in any aspect. And you're talking a long-term commitment, though. So we, so what you're saying is the task force has this, this infrastructure that they're putting here in Myrtle Beach that when you see this person, this victim, that probably doesn't even realize that they're a victim because they've been groomed and brainwashed and they, you know, they suffer from the Stockholm situation symptoms that when you pull them out, you've got all this other infrastructure for as long as it took them to get it in. It takes them twice as long to get their brain and their heart and their soul back into a different direction, which brings me to what is this trauma informed care that you are talking about in specifics? Can you give me a little bit more about that situation? So a trauma-informed care approach with these victims, you're not just dealing with, oh, a broken arm or a laceration. You're dealing with the entire approach. You're dealing with that particular injury plus their emotional status, their physical ailment, their psychological status. You're dealing with everything all at once. You have to multi-system approach. and it's very complicated. Like there was a case that uh, a friend, uh, a fellow sane had that um, she had other sanes talking to this patient and she, they wouldn't, she wouldn't talk to him. She wouldn't say anything. She walked in and said, do you want something to eat? And miraculously, this girl start, said, yes, yes, please. I haven't eaten in four days. Basic needs. 
we forget that they have been through the worst things imaginable in life that we can't even imagine. And they have been probably um, deprived the basic needs in life. And we start off with the simplest things and we can get the most results and get them to understand. Um, So we have to approach them from all aspects. And there's other cases where, you know, because of all the trauma that they have had, that these victims have acted out to healthcare providers for no reason at all. And they've said, I don't know why I did that. But the healthcare providers have, were so sympathetic to them and so helpful that they were like, that was the best thing that could have happened to me is the healthcare providers being so helpful to me. So they remember those things coming out of the trauma, traumatic events. As nurses, you both have seen this, what would you say, 23 years worth of this in and out. You know, there's a group of people that would say to you, there's just a certain percentage of people that just won't make it, deserve to be where they're at, and basically they're throwaway people. In your opinions, do you believe every life matters and that this is a way that we can at some point turn this around and make these broken human beings constructive people again? Is there any hope there at all? I I truly believe that um, if we continue the strides that we're doing, that there is hope for anybody that's been victimized. And I just want to add something as well. Whenever I was in the Dominican Republic doing missions, we had a safe house because Santa Domingo was huge in prostitution. You would go out on a Thursday night, and there'll be 400 girls on the streets. And so we had a safe house, and we partnered with the International Justice Mission, who would perform raids and rescue these women. And so in our safe house, for the first three months, you know, they would do counseling, and some of them, you know, were detoxing from certain substances, alcohol, drugs, or whatever. But they taught them the basic skills of, you know, working in a bakery. How do you bake a cupcake? How do you bake a cake? How do you make jewelry? You know what? I want to learn how to cut hair. Teach me how to cut hair. And during that rehabilitation process, they started, you know, teaching these women skills where they could work and make money and not have to sell their body to, you know, support their children. And I feel like, you know, there's hope in that. And, but there's also a healing process that we need to recognize that it's going to take time. No one person is the same. You know, different people experience different traumas and situations that they need to work through and, you know, so that they can be the healthiest they can be given the circumstances that they were just rescued out of. Do you have any good task force stories for us that, are working, that you have been able to identify these victims, pull them out of their situation, put them in a path of wellness rather than destruction. Are there anything or anyone you can tell us about generically, of course, that will give us hope that things are happening and moving in the right direction? We obviously, Honestly, haven't discussed any particular cases, um, specific cases related to the, the at the task force meetings. But you know that it's working. How long has the task force been involved? Uh, August of 2018. Oh, so it's brand new. Yep. So you guys are still formulating what your identity is. So it's a really wonderful platform to get people involved and have a voice of where you want to take this whole task force. Correct. 
Um, hey, that's pretty been, exciting. <laughs> we have been recognized um, that we are the furthest along in the state compared to other task force um, in certain aspects. So, How can people get involved? It sounds like you've got lots of committees, you've got lots of opportunities, and you've got um, some openings, I bet for um, people to get involved and also is it a nonprofit organization? So do you need donations or are you looking for people or what you're looking for, for making this successful moving forward? So we're always looking for volunteers. Um, and um, in pretty much every area, the only two areas that are closed is healthcare and law enforcement. But for volunteers for events like the postering that we did during the during Bike Week and the Country Music Festival, um, things like that, um, if you're interested in joining, um, or if you have places like youth groups or anything that would like training, um, there's specific trainings um, for teenagers that we are doing. Um, just contact the SC Coastal Region Task Force on Human Trafficking on Facebook um, and send us an email. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, no, that's okay. I was, I was like, is there more? Is there more? I want more. You know, um, I'm fairly new we are, to. We Go are ahead. a nonprofit. Um, everything okay. that we do. Um, we do out of the kindness of our hearts for all volunteers. Um, so we, um, we come, if, if anybody wants us to speak anywhere, we've done um, end the abuse summit. We did that at a church recently. Um, myself and Sherry Smith, the um, Ori County Sheriff, we went and spoke there. We've spoken at the Sands Resort um, to the, to the workers there. Um, We've spoken at Myrtle Beach uh, Chamber of Commerce. We've spoken there. So if, if you want us to come and speak, and we speak on the different levels, um, so it's not just the healthcare piece. Um, somebody from law enforcement comes. Somebody from um, this service, somebody from legal comes. So you get the whole aspect of how every piece works um, and with case scenarios and such. So that's the pretty much the big piece. But the biggest piece of what we want taken away today is, of course, if you see something, say something. And that phone number again? It is 888-373-7888. Thank you. You know what? I actually went out postering during bike week. And I'm pretty new to the area. And first of all, Bike Week kind of blew my mind to begin with. <laughs> but then I was asked to go out and put up the posters that, that you all had put out for your task force. And I'll be honest with you, I was pretty surprised how receptive people were to putting up a poster. I mean, how hard is it? for a person and I was with another person on the task force and they invited me to go and I had that typical, wow, do I really want to be involved with this? And, you know, all the ramifications of being out there and putting myself in the position of, yes, I, I'm standing for this out in, in the world, but it was very enlightening and it was also fulfilling that it wasn't a grand thing. I didn't save anybody, but I was there putting out the potential that someone might be saved or might come forward. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised about the bike community and how they embraced it and said, oh, yeah, man, let me have that. Let me have two. Let me have three. So I've been out there doing my little part. And it was, I felt, I felt good about it. I felt like, okay, it's a big, huge problem, but my tiny little action today might help someone else. 
So what I'm saying is there's all aspects of the task force, and it sounds like it's brand new, which I just love, meaning that it, it has a future. There's people that want to be involved, including myself, and uh, there's a part for everyone to play in this huge epidemic problem that we're going to have, I, I'm afraid, for the rest for a long, long time. So thank you, Natalie Darby and Vanessa Suggs. You did an excellent job at explaining and bringing people to the table of understanding a little bit more about what victims go through and how we all can help to get through it together. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Mm. All right. We'll talk next time about more human trafficking ideas and how we can get involved in a loving way to help serve our community and others. <laughs>